So today we come to the fourth chapter of Mark as we make our journey through Mark's gospel. And uh, the message title today is The Gospel Seed. And we're going to look here at this first parable that we find here in the fourth chapter. And Jesus, of course, spoke in parables. And this is the first of eight parables in the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you, if you put all of the, the parables together from all four Gospels, um, Holman's Bible Dictionary says Jesus spoke about 50 parables. Uh, you, you primarily find them in what are called the synoptic Gospels. The synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means to be seen from a similar point of view. As you've read through those three Gospels, undoubtedly you've thought, well, you know, they're, they're very similar. And they are similar, but they're not identical. They're, they're different as well. Uh, John's the one that probably has the least amount of parables, although there's a, you know, a couple of sort of parabolic type of things there. But, but you find, for the most part, the parables in, as I said, the synoptic Gospels. Now, in his parables... Jesus uses common life experiences and observations to illustrate and teach spiritual and heavenly truths. So Jesus, he's, you know, he's speaking to uh, the people in their uh, context. Uh, He's using things that everybody would get. Everybody would understand it. It's common to them. Um, You know, for us, sometimes we read some of these parables and we don't quite get it. We, there are certain things in it that we, we read it and, you know, we understand, you know, something about it, but we, but we don't understand it entirely. Case in point is uh, the parable of the, the virgins. Um, so oftentimes when we read the parable of the virgins, many, many Christians have done this, even, even Bible commentators have done it. You have the five wise and the five foolish virgin, virgins. And, you know, oftentimes uh, people are trying to make an application like, okay, you know, the, the five wise are the ones that are filled with the spirit. The foolish ones are the ones who are not filled with the spirit. And this is going to happen. And that's misinterpreting the parable because a parable generally has one message that it's communicating. And in that particular case, the message is simple. Be ready. Five were not ready. Don't be like them. Be like uh, the ones that were ready. So anyway, when you're looking at these parables, this is what you see. You see Jesus is just taking, you know, experiences that they would all be very familiar with, and he's using those things to uh, illustrate and to teach um, spiritual truth about, you know, living our lives as God's people here in this world, but also occasionally he's teaching us about things in the future and um, about heaven. Now, Some of the parables of Jesus were given to help uh, people understand a spiritual truth. And I think that's the majority of the time that is what's happening. But but there are some specific parables that we're, we're even told were given for the opposite reason. There are some parables that Jesus spoke, and this is one of them, to actually veil the truth from certain people. You think about that and you think, wow, that's Jesus is actually trying to hide the truth from somebody? That doesn't quite sound right. But that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, look with me at verses 10 through 12. 
But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand. Wow, Jesus is saying, oh, I'm speaking like this so they don't get it. And, and like I said, we would think, wow, Jesus is trying to veil the truth from people. Why would he do that? Well, this is the reason. The reason is he, he's speaking in parables because uh, there are there in the midst, there are those that have rejected him. We looked at that previously. There are those that said uh, his power was the power of the devil rather than the power of God. So they've come to a place where uh, Jesus is not really, he's not really, talking to them. He's not really, you know, trying to convince them of anything. He's going to now focus in on those who believe. So the parables would become a sort of a filter through which those who were genuine, those whose motives were pure, uh, they would be the ones to, to seek out and understand. But those who were indifferent, those who were hostile, they would be, like I said, filtered out uh, through this process. And, and just to go back to the quote for a moment, um, the quote here, seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand. This is a quote from Isaiah. And Matthew uh, adds to it, where, where Mark doesn't give us the entire quote, Matthew gives us um, a, the quote more fully. And it says, for the hearts of this people have grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing. So that's the reason, because their hearts are hard. They're like, you know, uh, we're, we're not interested. That was a decision that they made. So now, this parable that we're going to look at is commonly called the parable of the sower or the farmer. The sower is the person who cast out the seed. So it's commonly called that, but... Uh, it's more accurately the parable of the seed and uh, the soil. So yes, there's a, you know, there's, a, there's a farmer involved, but what Jesus is really talking about is he's talking about the seed and he's talking about the soil that the seed falls on. And one of the great things about these parables is that we're not left to try to figure out on our own uh, what they mean or, you know, to guess at the meaning because Jesus, he interprets them for us. And that's what he does here. So he tells the parable, uh, a sower went forth to sow seed and he cast some and it fell on the, you know, the hard ground and then it fell on the stony ground and then it fell among the thorns and then it fell to the good, good ground. And then he comes back and he says, okay, this is what it means. And so we are going to look at what Jesus uh, told us that the parable means, and let's pick it up in verse 14, where Jesus said this, the sower sows the word. So this is where we start. What is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel going forth. Now, in one of the other accounts, Matthew or Luke's account, uh, it specifically says that he is the sower. So that, of course, is what Jesus was doing. He was, he was preaching the gospel. He was proclaiming it. He was throwing out the word of God. So Jesus tells us 
that the sower sows the word. The word of God, the gospel, we're talking really about the same thing. And so that's what's happening here. But I want you to notice that he refers to the word as a seed. So the seed represents the word of God. Now, think about this. All seeds contain within them all the information to reproduce the plant and its fruit. So, you know, whatever seed you have, when you put it in the ground, it's ultimately going to bring up, you know, I was eating an apple yesterday. I was studying this. And so I was, uh, as I was throwing out the seeds, I think, wow, I'm throwing out apple trees right here, or (laughs) I'm throwing out apples. And, And actually, before that, my uh, my granddaughter, Evelyn, I was doing a FaceTime with her dad, and she walked into the room, and so we started talking, and she walked into the room with a, you know, an apple that was pretty much eaten, and I said, oh, what are you doing with that apple? And she said, I'm going out to plant an apple tree. <laughs> so she was actually on her way out to the backyard to, I think she was probably going to throw it out there and just assume that it was going to become an apple tree. But the point is this, we, we, we understand that, right? So the life of, of the, the plant or the fruit is all there in the seed. The DNA is all there. All it has to do is find good soil. And once it finds good soil, the life is going to come forth. So Jesus says that the seed is the word or the seed is the gospel. And here's the thing that we need to know. God's word can within it the life of God that is reproduced in the hearts and lives of those who have it planted in them. When you receive God's word, God's life is planted in you. Isn't that amazing? You see, this is the seed. God's word is, is living. It's powerful. It's the seed. It contains the life of God. So when we get God's word into us, when we initially receive God's word, when we respond to it like the the good soil here, then the life of God is planted within us. Now, the Bible uses this picture on a number of occasions. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, James tells us in the first chapter of his little letter, he says that by his own will, God caused us to be brought forth in birth by the word of truth. So we've been brought forth in birth. We've been, we've, we've been born. And Peter tells us uh, the exact same thing, but he uses the terminology that we're very familiar with. He says, we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God that lives and abides forever. So... When the seed of God's word goes into the good soil of a heart, the life of God is then planted there within that person's life. And and that life, just like the seed has life in it and it has power in it, so that seed of God's word has life in it and it has power in it to produce the life of God in our lives. You know, it's amazing the, the power that's in a seed. Um, we've all seen those occasions where, 
you see like, you know, a sidewalk or something. Um, and for our British audience, the pavement. Um, and you see like, you know, you see a weed like sticking up right in the middle of the sidewalk. You know, how did that happen? Uh, well, somehow, um, oftentimes, you know, there's already a, a space there and it makes its way through. But there are those occasions where you realize that somehow through a process, through the power contained in this little thing, this has is, is made its way up here. And year, uh, years ago, there was a well-known British preacher named G. Campbell Morgan, George Campbell Morgan. And he told the story of having traveled to Europe on one occasion, and he was visiting a, a cemetery for some reason. I don't remember the details. And he, he went to a grave, and there was this massive slab of uh, marble that was there on, on top of the grave, on, on the ground. And there was also an oak tree that was, had, had sprung up and, and broke this marble right in half. You know, the marble was probably 10 inches thick and it just busted the thing right in half. And he was sharing that story to illustrate just the power in, in the seed and the, the power in the word. Now, think about it. Nobody, evidently, nobody knew there was an acorn that was under that slab. And I would imagine that even if somebody knew there was an acorn under that slab, they wouldn't have thought twice about laying the slab on top of it. They would have been perfectly uh, you know, convinced that that would never be a problem because after all, you can take an acorn seed and you can put it on the ground or you can take an acorn. It is the seed. Uh, you could put it on the ground and you can stomp on it with your heel and you can crush it. So, I'm sure no one ever thought like, hey, we better make sure there are no acorns here because someday it might crack through this beautiful marble slab. But that's exactly what it did. And now here's the tie-in to scripture. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. You see, that's what happens. Just like that acorn could bust through that marble slab when the gospel enters a heart and the life of God is planted within our lives as human beings, the power of God begins to work that out in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. But when you understand it like that, it, you know, for me, it, it really explains a lot. It explains how people who otherwise are so bound in sin and seemingly irreparable and you know, seemingly beyond the, the grasp or the reach of any kind of real help or transformation, it explains how they change. They change because this power, this dynamic power of God comes into their life. The gospel, the word, is the power of God to salvation. And all it has to do is fall on that good soil and man, the life of God then begins to um, permeate and to work itself out from that person. So the, the seed is the word. Now, Jesus then goes on to speak about the various soils. Now, as, as we look at 
the, the explanation that he gives for the various soils. Let me, let me just say this up front. Um, you know, at, at the end, as we've already read, you know, we get to the one, we get to the good soil that, that bears much fruit. And we might be tempted to think that the good soil is, are those people with the good hearts that, you know, are going to receive God's word. They're the good people. But the Bible doesn't teach that there are good people. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that we're all sinners. In, in one sense, the, you know, we can safely say that it's not really the soil itself that is, that's what makes the difference here. Because all the soil is essentially the same. I am a, a sinner. You are a sinner. Uh, everybody's a sinner. Uh, my heart is deceitful above all things, incurably sick. Uh, so is yours. And so is everybody else's. So then how do you get like a good soil? Well, I think what we're looking at here really is we're looking at the depth of the entry of the seed. And we'll see that as we go along. So just wanted to say that up front. So let's look at what Jesus goes on to say. He says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. So the wayside would have been that, you know, just that path that, you know, how when people walk uh, continually on a path, even a, a dirt path, it can become almost like asphalt. It can just get impact, compacted so hard that it, you know, it's impenetrable in a sense. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. So as the, as the farmer goes out and he's just scattering the seed, some of it is landing there on the wayside. And here's what Jesus says. It, it doesn't penetrate. He says, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. This is just something that I think is important for us to note. Satan is always trying to steal away God's word from people's hearts. This is what he does. Satan's, uh, his his primary concern is to keep the word of God as far from people as uh, he can. And he does that through a whole variety of, of means. I mean, you think about all the deception, the spiritual deception that's in the world. But, but even individually, when a person has contact with the word, he's looking to thwart the effect of the word if he can. And so he's active in this process. The word goes out, and before it can ever penetrate, he's right there to try to snatch it away. And those are the ones where the seed falls by the wayside. Before the word can ever take root, they hear it, and before they can ever really bring it in, the enemy's right there to say, come on, that's not true. You don't want to, you don't want to believe that. Forget that. It's not going to be good for you if you do that. And then the person's like, oh, that's right. Yeah, forget that. The devil succeeded in his task there. So that's the first. The second is that of the ones that were sown on the stony ground. So these likewise, verse 16, are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. 
So here's the second. The person who receives the word initially with gladness, with with great excitement, and yet it, it doesn't last. You know, I have seen that happen so many times over and over throughout years of of ministry. I've seen it so many times. I have seen people that responded to the word and man, they were just lit up. They were, they were on fire. And the initial thought is like, these guys are going to light the world on fire. This is amazing. You know, you're so excited for them and you're so excited about the prospect of, you know, how God might work in their lives. And I, there's one person that really kind of stands out in my mind. I don't even remember the person's name, but I remember um, it was it was a person who was uh, a music guy, and you know he was an artist, and he was, um, you know he was he was ap- absolutely sure um, that he he kind of he kind of was a Freddie Mercury impersonator, and he was absolutely sure that he was going to be God's answer to Queen. And he was going to be the one, you know, that the gospel was going to go out through him. And he was so excited about it. He was so passionate. And, and I remember so vividly when he kind of came forth with all of his presentation of, you know, how great he was going to be for Jesus and all that. And, and, and one of the guys who was in leadership at the time, he just looked at him and he said, you know, you just kind of need to get in the back of the line. There's no celebrities here. You know, there's no rock stars here. We're just all serving Jesus. That radically offended him. It offended him so much that he left and he never came back. But man, for a few weeks, the guy was like a blazing torch for Jesus, you thought. But the moment something came into conflict with what he was really about, because in his mind, he was evidently thinking that the gospel was kind of more about him than it was about Jesus. And it was more about what he could get out of it than what he would give to the Lord. Uh, He just walked away, never saw him again. And that is just one illustration of how this can work itself out. But, But Jesus says, you know, there's an immediate excitement, but then when tribulation or persecution come because of the word. So it's the person who has a, they really have a misunderstanding. And, you know, sometimes it's preachers who promote that misunderstanding. You know, there, there is a message that's presented today that you can be a rock star for Jesus, that you can be uh, a billionaire for Jesus, you know, that God's looking for people just like you with your charisma and your talent and all those things. And he's going to bless you and you're going to become wealthy and you're going to be perfectly healthy and you're going to be so wise and you're going to be able to be used by God so powerfully. And people hear that message and they say, sign me up. That's great. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? But it's not a reality. It's not a biblical reality. And so when they come with the false idea that that's what they're signing up for, and then suddenly they realize, oh, wait a second. Oh, people don't like me being a Christian. People are pushing back on me when I'm telling them about God. And well, this has created some difficulties for me, and this isn't helping my career, or this is, you know, this has set me at a, at a disadvantage. Wait, this isn't what I signed up for. 
But that, if, if we're signing up for <laughs> following the Lord, that is what we're signing up for. We're signing up for what Jesus experienced in the world. He was despised and rejected of men. And so that will, to some degree as, as well, be our lot, and we can't forget that. But this is the person who doesn't see that. So, so the seed here, it's shallow. It falls on the, the stony ground. So there's just a little bit of topsoil, but just slightly underneath the surface, there is this, you know, in, in Israel, you would have like a limestone kind of a thing there or shale. You'd have something that was just right below the surface. That's what Jesus is describing. Something people would have understood. And so the minute the sun comes up, even though that thing is sprouted up and it looks so promising when the sun comes up, it withers. But then thirdly, there is now the soil that is infested with um, thorns. And so verse uh, 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the first seed just hits the ground and doesn't penetrate and the devil's there to snatch it away. The second one sinks in a little bit, but not any real depth to speak of. And whenever difficulty comes along, it's consumed by the fire. But now here's one that goes a little bit deeper, but it goes down to the level of the weeds. It, it doesn't go deeper. It doesn't go beyond the level of the weeds. It, it settles kind of right there in the weeds. And after you know, the first service this morning, a lady comes up to me. She says, I know all about weeds. I do gardening and, those, and I plant these pepper plants and these weeds, they come in and they just spread everywhere and they suck up all the water and the nutrients and stuff. And the, you know, the plant, she was really, <laughs> she was really bothered by those weeds and amen to that. Weeds are bad. And we've all encountered weeds, I think, probably. And what do they do? He says that they choke out the life so that, so that no fruit ever comes to it, its full potential. Now, with the, this, this picture of the thorns, Jesus tells us what, what he's talking about. He says he's talking about the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. And what he's describing is that, yeah, the seed has gone in, but it's on the, it's on the same level as these other things. So they're, in the end, going to choke it out. It, did, it didn't go deep enough. It has to go deeper than the weeds. And, and this is the person who receives the gospel and, you know, I mean, 
you know, obviously has some attraction to the gospel and some affinity for the gospel and some desire for the gospel, but it's not a desire that's any deeper than, than a desire for other things. So it's sort of a, an attitude of like, yeah, the gospel's great and wonderful, but well, you know, this is great too. And that's great too. And well, I can't give up this because, you know, that's what I do and that's what I am. And, uh, you know, so the gospel in this case it doesn't become the priority. It's not the main thing. It's just put along with these other things. And those other things will eventually choke out the gospel. So there is no fruit. And what does he say? He says, the cares of this life, the cares of this life, just the things, you know, about life. How many people just get caught up in the cares of this life? You know, I don't have time to cultivate my spiritual life because there's so many other things I've got to do. There's so many other, even sometimes responsibilities I have. So there's the cares of this life, but then there's the desire for other things. You know, there's other things I want. Yeah, the gospel's great and Jesus is good, but, but there's so many other things. There's so many other things I want to do. You know how many people I've heard tell me, well, you know, I, I'm interested in that and I like, you know, the gospel sounds good, but I'm just not ready right now because there's so many other things I still want to do. Other things. But then let's zero in on this one, the deceitfulness of riches. Take this to heart. This is how Jesus describes riches. They are deceiving. They're deceiving. What does that mean? Well, riches, they fool you. Because what do we think about riches? We think that happiness is connected to riches. We think contentment is connected to riches. We think fulfillment is connected to riches. Jesus said the deceitfulness of riches. Why? Because that's a deception. No, that will not fulfill you. That will not make you happy. That will not bring you contentment. It's, it's a trick. Riches trick you into thinking that they can do something that they can't do. And yet how many people fall for the trick? Many, many people fall for the trick. Some people say, no, look, I know I know if I could just win the lottery, I know I would, be, I would be way better off and I'd be way happier. And you know, I would even give to God. I would tithe. You know, if I got $900 million, I would give God 10%. I would. <laughs> the deceitfulness of riches. Paul the Apostle put it this way in writing to Timothy in his first letter the sixth chapter, he warned about riches. He said, for those who would be rich fall into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts that drown men in destruction. And believe it or not, and you don't even have to take my word for it, just do a little bit of research. Riches have been the death of many, many people. The person thought it was going to be their life. It ended up being their death. You know, we, we don't have to even do a whole lot of research to find out that this is absolutely true. 
I mean, think of the people who are the richest. They're oftentimes, more times than not, they are the most miserable of people. You know, sometimes you'll hear a celebrity who's wealthy, you'll hear them, you know, come out and just admit that uh, none of this, none of this uh, fame, none of this money, this wealth, none of this has made me happy. It's not done that for me at all. That, that's the reality. The love of money, Paul says, is, is a root of all kinds of evil. And for which some have strayed away from the faith and they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That, that's the end of pursuing those things and giving up your spiritual life for these material things is a huge mistake. Don't make the mistake. Don't let those things choke out God's word. But then, fourthly, we have the good soil, those who receive the word and understand it. Matthew adds understanding. Uh, Mark doesn't mention it here. Uh, Verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So going back to what I said a moment ago, what's the difference here? So there's the hard ground, there's the shallow ground, there's the thorny ground, and then there's the good soil. What's the difference? If we're all the same, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that this seed went down deep. It went down deep. And, and that's, that's how our lives change. When the word of God goes down deep into us, when it really impacts us, when we, when we hear the gospel and we understand, that's a key statement by Jesus. It's the understanding of it and all the implications of it. When we understand, I am, I am a sinner who's hopelessly lost. I'm not just a, like a passive sinner who just did a few wrong things. No, I'm an active re- rebel against God. But God, in his love and his mercy, he's extended salvation to me. When I understand that, <coughs> when, when a person really gets that and acts upon it, that's when the seed goes down deep. And that's when the fruit then will come. And, and let me just say that I, I'm not describing here necessarily an emotional experience. Sometimes when we even talk about like, you know, I had a deep thing, we're, we're kind of more expressing it emotionally. But you can, you can have a deep, deep encounter and experience and the seed can go deep down and, and you might not necessarily have any outward emotions. I mean, I know people who have been greatly emotionally impacted as, as the seed has gone deep into their heart. It has brought them, uh, it has brought them under deep conviction and it's, it's accompanied with many tears and just a great sense of God's, sometimes God's judgment, but then on top of it, God's mercy. And it, it's just an amazing spiritual experience and it leads to transformation in their life because the word went down deep. But you know, I know other people that never had any of those experiences, but had the transformed life because the seed went deep. It didn't necessarily immediately affect them emotionally the same way, but it took root in their hearts. And that's what Jesus is describing here. Those who receive it, those who understand. 
You see, it goes back to understanding. What is the gospel? Well, like we're saying, it's not what people often think it is. The gospel is not about betterment for me, even though it does better me. The gospel is about me being reconciled to the God who made me. The gospel is about me coming out of darkness into his light. The gospel is about me being his child. The gospel is about me becoming his servant. And there's all kinds of amazing, wonderful aspects to that as well. So Jesus says that when the seed falls on the good soil, he says it produces fruit. So let's talk about fruitfulness for a minute. What, what is the fruit that's being produced here? Well, let's go back to the seed. If I plant an apple seed, I am going to get an apple tree, right? And I'm going to get apples. And take any seed you want. Whatever seed you plant, that is what you're going to get. So the seed is the word of God When we plant, when that seed is planted deep in our hearts, what is the fruit going to be? Well, first and foremost, the fruit is going to be likeness to Christ. Because we're planted, the life of God is being planted in us. Now, I say this because for a long time, I, I used to think that fruit was mainly about, you know, doing things for God and especially like evangelism and leading people to Jesus. And like, well, that was fruit. And that might be connected to fruit at some point. That might be a manifestation of fruit. But that's not the primary thing that is being talked about when fruit is being born. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, abides in me, bears much fruit. So what is the fruit? Well, he's the vine. So what is... uh, He's the vine, we're the branch. What's going to come out on the branch as the fruit? It's going to be Christ-likeness. So this is what happens. When the life of God is planted in the human soul, the likeness of God begins to manifest itself in us and through us. So that's the first thing it is. Fruitfulness is Christ-likeness. We're being transformed more and more and more into the image of the Son of God. And we can also see it as the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is, in a sense, it's just another way of saying what I just said a moment ago. Because, again, the Spirit is the source, and so the fruit of the Spirit is going to be the the life of the Spirit. Now, Paul tells us in Galatians 5, he he walks us through the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. And 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, it, it increases as we go on in life. But it's also, I think, you could include the gifts of the Spirit. What are the difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit? Or the, yes, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is primarily about character. It's about your character. It's about you becoming like Jesus in your thinking and in your behavior. It's character formation. That's what happens 
that we call the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are the empowerments of the Spirit that allow us to work for God and, and do the things of God. And, and I think that both are included because those that the Lord saves, he saves us. He wants to transform us in our character, but he also wants to use us for his glory. And so he gives us gifts. And through those gifts, the faithful using of those gifts, fruit comes, lives are impacted, the kingdom of God is expanded. And so I think those things are included. And then finally, thirdly, I think faith is also another thing that we could say as, um, as the fruit. Faith, increasing faith. As, as time goes on, as, as God has planted his life in us and we're growing in the likeness and we're coming to know him, what are we doing simultaneously? We're coming to trust him more. More and more and more we're trusting him because we're living out that experience with him. And so as Jesus said, the seed that falls on the good soil, it produces fruit. It produces fruit. 30, 60 100. Now, the primary message of this parable, I think, is that it's a picture of what happens when the, the gospel goes out. And Jesus is the one, you know, in the, another parable. Like I said, it's clear that he's the one, he's the sower. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's sowing the seed and it's falling on these various types of soil. So the primary application, I think, is how people respond to the gospel. How people who have not heard the gospel respond to it when they hear it. That's the primary message. But the secondary application would be to us who have already received the word in a saving sense. So in other words, there's application of this beyond just salvation. Because this same process uh, it, it works itself out in our own experience as Christians, because as Christians, we also are having the word of God brought to us by opening the pages of scripture and meditating on God's word and the spirit bringing that to us. And so the question is, what, how are we responding? So in some cases, as God might speak a word to us and that word might um, you know, it, it, some sort of instruction, maybe some, some correction, or maybe even some direction in our lives, or whatever it might be, you know, there are those times when the word might come, and uh, before we, because it's, you know, maybe not exactly what we want to hear, the devil's right there to snatch that away. Never forget that the devil is looking over your shoulder while you're studying the Bible. Maybe that'll help you understand why sometimes it can be so challenging just to do that. But he's right there. He wants to snatch that away. Or you're reading through God's word as, as his child and you're looking, you know, to grow. And, um, you know, the word comes. But then again, there's that initial excitement about it. But then maybe there's some unpleasant aspects to it too. So you're like, no, I don't, we're not, we're not going to do that. Or we, we hear something, God speaks to us and we know that, yeah, this, we know this, but then, but I, I've just got so many other things going on. 
man, there's so many things. I'm so busy. I don't, I don't really have time for that. I think, the, I think this third one, you know, the, the seed among the thorns, uh, this is, I think this is largely our problem in our culture today. There's just so many other things that we've got going. There's the cares of this life. There's a desire for other things. And many people who are believers, but the priorities are not right. It's like all of these other things are just kind of just as important. And until God's word and his truth and his instruction to us, until they become the top of the list priority, nothing's really going to change in our lives. But don't stay there. Make the change. Don't, don't be the one that the seed is effectively choked out because of these other things. No, when God brings that word to you, act upon it. Take it into your heart deeply and obey it and, and see what God does. And then, of course, that's where we want to always be. We want to, we want to receive the word and let God do his work in our lives. And, and listen, if you think, if anybody thinks like, well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of beyond that now. You know, I, I am a Christian and yeah, I'm following the Lord. You know, the Lord's always going to be wanting to work in our lives. There's always work to be done. There's, there's never going to be a time, as long as you're on planet Earth, there's never going to be a time when God goes, all right, complete. They're done. No more work to do. They're, they're great. They're fine. That's, that's not going to happen. So you can safely assume that there's always going to be places where God wants to speak to you. It's, he wants to challenge us. And he wants to call us to deeper things. He wants to call us to new things. You know, sometimes I've done things. I've taken steps of faith. And, and then I've like, okay, Lord, I took the step of faith. I'm done. I'm, it's good. Let's just settle down here. And the Lord's like, no, no, we're not done. There's more faith to be lived out. There's more steps to take. That's, that's the reality. So, so let's, let's realize that. And, and then let's just receive that word understand it, receive it, apply it. And of course, as a result, fruit will come. And that's what God desires. Now, as we close, I just want to say one final word to someone who is maybe here today and, and you've really not yet received the gospel of Christ. You've heard it. You heard it today, maybe uh, you, you perhaps have heard it before. And so God is looking for that word to take root in your heart. That, that's his desire. And you know, it's amazing how loving and gracious and patient God is because he will, he will even keep throwing seed out. You know, you might, you might, might have been at a place where, you know, the gospel was presented and you're just like, no, nah, not interested. The devil just snatched that away. But you're hearing it again today because God loves you and he's gracious and he's throwing it out there again so you can respond to it. But we determine how are we going to respond? Are we going to let the enemy steal it, snatch it away? Are we going to let 
uh, potential difficulty, challenges, trouble, persecution, whatever it might be, we're going to let that scare us away and say, no, I, I don't want it because of that? Are we going to let these other material, temporal things just control the whole issue and so we never really engage in, in the depth of a relationship that God has for us or are we going to receive it? Just receive it into our hearts and bear fruit. That's, of course, God's plan. That's his ideal. That's what he wants to do. He wants to plant his life in you. And he wants you to experience the power of his life bursting forth in your life to change you and make you into a person like Jesus. That's what he's doing. So, Lord, we thank you that that's what you do. We thank you, Lord, that your word comes in and it explodes within us. And the life of God begins to flow through our veins and out, Lord, into our character and into our thinking process and our heart and ultimately into our, our actions. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, as you continue to scatter that seed, Lord, may we have receptive hearts today. Whether as a, as a true follower, we want to continue to be receptive to your word as it falls upon our hearts. And Lord, even again, for anyone today that maybe is yet to, to really let the seed sink in, help them today to receive your word, help them to understand it and to benefit eternally from it in Jesus name. Amen.